Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best books directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with Tom Avitabile, the author of the seriously high-octane new thriller, Give Us This Day, which was released in late October. Tom, welcome. Oh, it's great to be here. It is the perfect day for, for you and I to be having this conversation because you, you've got something special going on today. So let's, let's lead things off by talking about that, and then we'll get into the character and the book and every, everything about this. Well, you know, it is a special day. Uh, today, uh, by coincidence, uh, we are the Nook Daily Find on barnesandnoble.com. And what that means is that today, for only today, for a limited time only, as they say, uh, the book, Give Us This Day, my fifth novel, uh, will be available for the unheard of low, low price of $1.99. That's today only during the Nook Daily Find. It's actually been selected by Barnes & Noble as a book to feature today. And I'd like to just reach out to everybody and say, last time this happened, uh, I became a number one bestseller. So if anybody's listening out there and at any point during their listening or after they listen to the show, if they can go click on it and download my book, uh, who knows? I could come back on your show in a couple of months and say, we hit number one. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I will link to the Barnes & Noble page in the show notes. So if, if people are listening in their car, they could just go to the show notes and find the link there as well. Thanks a lot. It's the greatest thing you can do for a kid from the Bronx. By the way, <laughs> uh, the, my other books, The Eight Day, The Hammer of God, The God Particle, and, and uh, Devil's Quota will also be there at two ninety nine. They're doing a kind of across-the-board special on my entire uh, library. It's so. a great day to get the Tom Av- Avatabale Library. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's get started. We're going to talk about the book, which I absolutely loved, by the way. I love a good thriller, and, and this one just blew me away. But let, let's get started by talking about your protagonist, Brooke Burrell. I, she's, she's a fascinating character, and, and I'm, I'm curious about h- how you developed her. Well, you know, Brooke actually started out in my first book, The Eighth Day, as a kind of a supporting character in a minimal role. She teamed up with a retired New York City detective, and they thwarted a plot to poison New York. And that was a subplot. Um, and I got a lot of mail about her. Uh, she perforated some guy's leg in the classic, you know, ticking bomb scenario of, you know, do you, do you treat somebody nice or if the bomb's about to glow, go off, do you do something to convince him to talk? And <laughs> she actually perforates his leg in the soft, fleshy part. But she gets written up and, a, you know, a notation is made in her file, but everybody nods and says, yeah, she did save New York, so maybe we shouldn't, uh, you know, get on her. Mm-hmm. Um, she came back in the second book and, uh, in Hammer of God and did a, an incredible mind psych uh, on a, a mastermind terrorist and, and out-psychologied uh, out him and got him scared to his wits where he, you know, confessed everything. So she did strong in, in, in the, in the uh, Hammer of God. But in The God Particle, it's almost her book. It just happened that way. You know, you're writing and all of a sudden these people take over. And when I was writing The God Particle, which is my third book, it turned out that she was almost like the co-leading character, you know, the co-protagonist, if mm-hmm. you know you know, coin that phrase. Um, and she, she became a major part of the book. Uh, and I, you know, I know this sounds schizophrenic, mostly on her own. And, uh, that book was so well received. And, and I get a lot of email about Brooke. A lot of people like her. 
So when it came time to uh, do my fifth book, everybody said, look, you got to go with Brooke. I mean, she's getting the most emails. She's getting more emails than your lead character did. You know, it's like, okay, all right. I, I can listen to the voice of the people. So um, we uh, crafted, we, you know, me and the, all the monkeys in my head that write. Oh, right, right, yeah. Uh, uh, we crafted a, a, a fifth novel, uh, which is the first of the Brooke Burrell series. And uh, I got to tell you, it's been incredibly widely accepted. I've gotten a lot of five out of five reviews and, and, and uh, people are just writing me emails about it and uh, agents are calling and uh, publishers are calling. It's, uh, it's really hit a mark. So go out there, Brooke, and, and do what you do so well. <laughs> well, I, I absolutely loved her as a character. And I see that John Land did as well, who's a, a very well-known. Listeners will know who John is. Um, he, he refers to her as a postmodern, though equally jaded, Clarice Starling, which I thought was pretty clever of him. <laughs> Yeah, John is John is clever. Um, yeah, and I, I think just to stretch it out a little longer, he's actually talking about Silence of the Lambs there. Right, right. And you know, uh, look, I to be anywhere in the neighborhood, around the block, and across the street from Silence of the Lambs in anybody's mind. Yeah, it's a good I, that's, place to be. Boy, that's that. I got to tell you, I I had a like dab a tear from my eye when I read that one. That was great. John has written a fantastic female protagonist himself. I, I think, is her name Caitlin Strong? Yes, that it right? is. Yeah, I love yeah. that series, and it's terrific. So to get that kind of praise from John is high praise indeed. Well, let's, let's roll into the book. Give us this day. Give us a little sense of what the story's about and, and how you take the reader through this breakneck pace all the way, <laughs> all the way to a very satisfying ending. Yeah, I, you, one of the great quotes I got was, uh, I don't write with ink, I write with adrenaline, somebody wrote in one of the reviews. But uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, it starts out innocently enough. Uh, you know, Brooke, in the last book, uh, The God Particle, met her, the love of her life, truly, because she had no love life before that. Uh, she was all work and very little play. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's brought out in the first book, The God Particle. Uh, but, uh, you know, for a standalone book, the beginning of a series, I didn't want to depend on that. So I established her. Uh, and I refresh everybody's m memory or introduce her, depending on whether you come to the book first or not, as someone who just wants to teach high school girls soccer, mm -hmm. uh, coach <laughs> high school girls soccer in Hawaii, while her husband in the Navy is on deployment out at sea. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, the government comes and asks her to do a job, and she's already retired, and she doesn't do that anymore. But they keep hounding her, so she makes them an offer she can refuse. And she ratchets it up to an unbelievable amount of money and something called a director or GS-15 or 16 level. And uh, finally, she has to take the job. But it's just a stupid little white-collar crime thing, you know, a little forensics on the accounting side, and she's out of it. And she should be back in Hawaii tonight, right after they do the takedown. Mm -hmm. And in that last 11th hour, right before it's just a simple walk in the park, everything goes to hell. Uh, starts off with a, a, a death in the subway. Uh, is that a murder? It moves on to a, a series of uh, terrorist movements and attacks around the world. And suddenly this small little thing she was involved with has major repercussions. But she and no one in the book knows what's happening. They don't know the final plan. They don't know what the ultimate goal is. But along the way, it's ISIS on Wall Street mm -hmm. making major moves in the market. And 
I talked to some people who are on the financial side of uh, security and, and SWIFT uh, and all these things that are designed to stop this from happening, saying, I can't tell you right now that it isn't happening. They've got millions and millions of dollars, uh, almost billions of dollars from their oil reserves, and they could be making market plays all day long and funding terrorism from the stock market. And, and you, you come up with a lot of very plausible ways that that could be done. And it's uh, for someone like me who really loves a good financial thriller, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I enjoy that kind of, I don't know, that kind of background in a book. Well, thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I believe that the key to plausible fiction is to have a base of reality. So I, I tend to like to think of it as a foundation that's based in, you know, the reality of the world the non-fiction stuff, and then the next layer, just one more layer up, that little feather bed kind of pillow right above it is where I take the truth and I put it together in ways that are fictitious. But I try and do everything that's true. So everything in the book is true. It's the way I put it together that creates the fiction. Uh, And that leads to my mantle that I've I've used from the beginning, which is it's only fiction till it happens. Mm -hmm. That's that's my uh, U.S. Patent Office registered trademark (laughs) line. Um, So in in the book, it's the same thing. So this ability to axe or or put in uh, contracts or a hedge, or however you want to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go back to 9-11, there was conspiracy theories about how people shorted the airline stocks and made millions uh, on 9-12. Um, and the question is, if you knew when the next terror attack was going to be, and if it was devastating enough, and if you had enough money and clout in the market, could you make a trillion dollars on the next attack? Well, if you knew when and where it was going to happen and you made the right moves in the market, you could. So who better to invest than the people that are attacking? Mm -hmm. And, of course, that's only a part of the book. (laughs) Right, right. Now, as you've mentioned, you've written several books, but this one is a little bit of a departure for you because while in the past, in in three of the books, Brooke has been a supporting character, here she's the star of the show. She is the primary Mm -hmm. protagonist, as you said. What was that like for you to transition... uh, with a character from a supporting character to really you're sort of inside her head writing the book. Uh, I got to tell you, um, I, 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 I haven't been an operator in special forces and I've never gone into a dark cave, but it was like that. <laughs> uh, it's scary in there. It is scary in there. I, I, you know, we share the planet uh, with uh, a whole other uh, uh, species almost of, of human beings. And mm-hmm. although we look almost the same and we do the same things, We do it for much different reasons, and uh, it doesn't mean that uh, an action hero uh, does anything different as a male or a female, but my only point, my only way to sanity was to go inside, and going inside, the motivation, the reason why someone does something uh, may be wholly different. Although the action on externally may be the same. You know, mm-hmm. you get the bad guys, you do the shootout, you do everything. It's what's inside, the motivation, the, the, the stimulus response that I believe was, was an opportunity for character development. So in, in building, and I use the term building, uh, Brooke, um, when she was uh, a supporting character, I had the pleasure and the, the ease of defining her by the other characters, what the other characters say about her, Mm -hmm. what they say when she leaves the room, uh, how they treat her and how they have dialogue with her. But she's a supporting character. When she's the lead character, the main character of the book, 
uh, that's not enough. You've got to go inside. You've got to go into the way she sees the world, the way she uh, handles situations and problems, the way she has uh, how cognizant she is of what's around her. And you've got to do it in a way that doesn't make her a, a slam dunk hero so it's boring. You've got to create, you've got to show blind spots. You've got to have uh, areas where she could fail. Otherwise, there's no tension. And uh, in, in developing that character, in, in trying to flesh out uh, a character that wasn't just, she does everything a guy does. It's really cool, you know. And then it's like, no, she's a guy then, you know. Uh, and, and that happens a lot. A lot of times uh, you write a great story and then you just turn it to a female. And it's like you've added, you know, the female gender to something that you wrote as a male and you think that's enough and that's cool, right? Because she does everything a guy does. Well, then just write a guy. Mm -hmm. But um, working from the ground up, I just didn't want to write a, a, an action hero, uh, someone who's thinking and, and moving and, and, and you know, kinetic uh, as just a, a guy who's a female. I wanted to write an endemic female from the ground up. And that was scary. And I in my research, and it sounds strange to say I researched females, um, but, you know. That's our I, life's work as, as men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a, a true, brother. Um, but in researching uh, from not a point of view of, yeah, we all know women, but asking them about thought process, asking, asking them about, you know, would you save the baby or would you save the, the mother? You know, and, and just, you know, typical ethical dilemmas and all kinds of things. There's not a consensus. Uh, what one woman told me, another woman uh, bristled at. What another woman said was, you know, fine. Another woman said, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that at all. So it's kind of like, oh, boy, <laughs> what do I do now, you know? One, one great line, uh, and it's uh, it kind of in the book. Um, I, I wrote this character that I thought was just the milk of human kindness, just the greatest guy on the planet. And I, I based him on my brother-in-law, who I dearly love, who is, one, who is that guy. You know, he's just the, one of the best guys on the planet. And I wrote him to be just a real soft point in the book, just a real nice guy. And I get this note from a, a, a woman who's uh, big in New York and big in, in, in like politics and knows, uh, works, works in this insurance companies and works in courts and everything. And she writes back this line that says, he's a chauvinist pig. And so this was, <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, what did I do? And she, she explained to me that in the book, uh, my character refers to her by her first name only. That's it. He says, Brooke. He said, well, Brooke, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she said, she may have, he may have well have asked her to get him a cup of coffee. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> okay, that's, that's a ding, right? I got to remember that one. So, uh -huh. of course, I adjust the book. But the very next day, the very next day, the president of, no less than the president of the United States, Barack Hussein Obama, gets grilled by the feminist crowd because he refers to Elizabeth Warren, the senator, as Elizabeth so it was like, whoa, I should have sent this to the president. I could have saved them all this trouble. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's like, okay, you really got to readjust your thinking because you, you are responsible for a female and you want other women to, to read it and not say, oh, this is written by a guy. You know, you want them to say, wow, you know, I, I like her. You know, I, you know, I may not agree with everything she does, but I don't disagree with her modus operandi, if you will. And I, I think as readers that, that we can glom on to 
to inaccuracies in thinking like that. And I, yeah. I certainly didn't catch any. Did you did you have any women that, that read a draft or something to give you some feedback? Or, or did you just write based on the feedback that they'd already given you? No, I, uh, I'm very lucky. And if you look at the back of my books, I always credit my mastermind group. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say about half are women. And again, that comment that I just discussed, uh, that came after a reading of uh, first, uh, second okay. draft. Oh, good. Um, and I, I, I depend on people a lot at, for specialties. In other words, I have people that are experts in nuclear physics. I have people that are experts in human behavior. I have people that have lived in the White House practically. I have people that know the defense system, the State Department. I have experts in the Secret Service. I, I've been lucky enough to amass a tremendous amount of, of good people who want, me, want to help me make a more accurate and better book. And as I always say, you know, any, any errors of mine. You know, or any, anything I sacrifice to tell a story, like the old bromide, never let facts get in the way of telling a good story. Mm-hmm. You know, if they really nail me on chemicals or something like that, or they nail me on, you never want to screw up guns. Just oh, to, yes. All <laughs> you, you put a safety on a Glock that doesn't have a safety and mm-hmm. you get a thousand emails. You know, you can you can do anything else and you get a couple of emails. But if you screw up guns, man, they're all over you. So I have experts in that regard uh, that just go through it and just give me, uh, you know, notes. And then I include as much as I can, as long as it doesn't get in the way of the story. And how have you developed uh, the, these relationships? It, has it been over time? Are you adding a few with each with each new book? Yeah, it's like uh, it's like I go through the park gathering nuggets in May. You mm-hmm. know, I, I go to dinner and I meet someone who was an ex FBI agent. I uh, there's a, there's an incredible gentleman named Anthony who's a, a, a the retired detective, first grade New York City. I met him on the beach in Puerto Rico, and he became my go to guy. This guy knows everything about not only police procedure uh, with his you know, many, many years of service to the city. But he, he is a gun encyclopedia. I called him mm. once when I was writing the, the Devil's Quarter, and I said, you know, I need a gun prior to 1899 so it doesn't need a permit that could be a relic but can still fire. And like in, ten, in rapid fire, he came back to me with the Colt S.A. Army 1890. I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. But it was a gun that actually could take today's standard 45 uh, ammunition, and it would be a gun that a police officer would not have to surrender because, you know, if a police officer surrenders his weapon, you know, in that scene with your badge, your gun, mm-hmm. you, have to, you have to surrender all your guns. You cannot have any gun. So all the guns, even the ones you own personally, have to be surrendered. So... Uh, this would have to be a gun that wasn't permitted. So uh, in the story, I have my character in The Devil's Quota, a gun his uh, grandfather had, which he's counting on for his retirement. It's worth Mm $200,000. And it's one of these, you know, Colt Army Action 18 whatever guns. And he's got it in a case, you know. And when he's got no more guns and he's still got to go fight the bad guys, the case is broken (laughs) and the gun is not there. And he, he actually takes a six shooter in one of the shootouts and fans it like the old West, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and again, he was right on spot on with that in an instant, like, like, a, a, a an encyclopedia of, of weaponry. It's just amazing. And I, I have similar stories with people in, you know, financial transactions, the stock market, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, uh, airlines, uh, everything that touches the book. I, been lucky enough to find someone who has some understanding and is willing to read the book and give me notes. Yeah, that, that is terrific. Uh, we're running short of time, Tom, so let's, let's wrap up with, I, I think I know where, the, where, where readers can find the book. I know they can find the book everywhere, but they can find it today at yes. Barnes & Noble as the special deal of the day. 
Yes, uh, and once again, Give Us This Day is uh, now specially priced at $1.99 for today only. And if you go there and you buy it, it ticks up on this kind of run to number one that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, if enough people buy it, I'll be a number one bestseller. So everybody out there, if you got a, two bucks in your pocket and you want to help a kid from the Bronx become another number one bestselling <laughs> author, also my entire library, The Eighth Day, The Hammer God, The God Particle, and Devil's Quarter are all at $2.99 uh, today only again. So if you can get to Barnes and Noble and do it. Uh, if you want, you can go to my blog, uh, which is www.tom Avitabile. Oh boy, that's a tough name to try and spell. <laughs> it's even tough for you, isn't it? Yeah, A V I T A B I L E A V I T A B I L E dot com. That's my blog. You can sign up there and uh, get on my email list. Lots of fun things come out that way. And uh, go out and uh, tell all your friends about it too. Hey, Tom, this has been terrific. Thanks so much for being here today. Uh, thank you very much. Keep, keep up the good work. Thank you. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.crimefiction.fm. If you do pop by my website, please sign up for the email list. After you've gone to Tom's website to sign up for his email list, I send out an email each Friday with a summary of the week's interviews. It's the best way to keep up with what we're doing and to be sure you don't miss out on great new books like Give Us This Day from Tom Avatabale. Thanks for listening.